his karate lessons might not turn him into a black belt. Hi-ya! And even after band camp, he might not be the greatest musician. But with the 3% annual percentage yield you can earn on a PenFed premium online savings account, your goal of supporting his dreams, thanks for everything, mom and dad, will always be worth it. Apply today at PenFed.org savings. Federally insured by NCUA. $5 minimum to open account. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed. PenFed's got great rates for everyone. Nerds! Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Ready to level up your financial game? Let NerdWallet guide you with smart strategies for lasting success. Get savvy tax planning pointers to maximize your savings, money-saving travel tips for your next family getaway, and investing insights like how a 529 plan can help you send your kids to college. Unlock the key to saving to help you earn more money. Follow NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you in 2024. This is the Odyssey Las Vegas Public Affairs Show. I'm Heather Vale, and joining me is Grace Giroge, Education Director at the Las Vegas Natural History Museum. February is Black History Month, and the museum is celebrating with a new exhibit called Resilience. Grace, thank you so much for being here today. Hey, Heather, and thank you so much for having me. So when was the Las Vegas Natural History Museum first started? So the museum was established in 1989. A small group of citizens got together who knew the community would benefit from the educational resources it could provide. And now we are a private nonprofit museum, now a Smithsonian affiliate and accredited with the American Alliance of Museums. Nice. Okay. So generally speaking, what do the exhibits focus on? So if you're going to take a gander on a regular weekday, you're going to see our ancient Egypt gallery, which was donated by the Luxor. It's beloved by the community. My favorite gallery, which is the Marine Life, where you're going to be able to see fossils and specimens and also live fish in there and then signage that you can learn from. Another fun spot is our International Wildlife Gallery that opened on October 1st of last year, where it's a journey throughout the biomes of the world. Nice. Okay. Now, what can visitors see at the new Resilience Black History Month exhibit? So throughout the hallways and inside of the International Wildlife Gallery, we have set up art and poetry from local artists from the community that have tapped into the theme of resilience. And what that is, is we are celebrating this month and we celebrate with beauty and with joy. And we thought, what better way than to have artists explain their stories, how they have connected to their African heritage, how they have preserved traditions over time. Okay. And why specifically the name resilience? What significance does that have? So we're highlighting five different African-American scientists this month for Black History Month. And the resilience piece is that for a people to have overcome what has been overcome and still be able to contribute so significantly to the natural sciences is definitely something to be celebrated. So while our artists are celebrating their own personal and their family's journey through having to tap into resilience to continue to remain a part of the conversation, we're tapping into how those scientists have done the same thing. 
Okay, cool. So how have the various contributors interpreted resilience into the exhibit? What can we expect to see if we attend? So if you come in, you're going to first walk by some really stunning art by Keith Michael, and it's going to just showcase African-American culture. There's ladies dressed for Sunday church, and you're going to keep walking by and you're going to see some stanchions with QR codes. And on those QR codes, you can have the description read to you in Spanish. And then in the scientist highlights, you're going to be able to read the story of that scientist and what they have overcome. And so in the main gallery, in the main hallway, you're going to see Dr. Joan Mural Owens, who is my favorite that I've read about during this month and learned so much about. She passed away in 2011. While she was going through her studies at Fisk University, she got an art degree, started an elementary education, and then at the age of 37, decides to pivot and go into the sciences. And so by the time Dr. Owens was teaching, she was the first women scientist for most of her students. And especially as a Black woman, the first time that they would have been having that interaction uh, with a person like her in the sciences. And so what she had to overcome with public perception, but also to remain professional, to continue to contribute, to continue to research and do the work without applause is really tremendous. And then we are still benefiting from her research today. Awesome. Okay. So now when you're talking about QR codes as part of the exhibit, does it have kind of an interactive component? Yes, we want you to come, we want you to read, we want you to look, we want you to scan, we want you to listen. Um, there's guess who boxes when you see the artistic expression of the scientist highlights, lift up the boxes and see what's inside for you to continue to learn. <laughs> that sounds fun. It's a good time. We're excited. It's a lot to explore. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So how long does the resilience exhibit run? All month long. We're celebrating all month long up until February 29th. So we are open Monday through Sunday, 9am to 4pm. Come in anytime and hang out. So every day you're open from nine to four. Yes. Awesome. Okay. And for those who aren't familiar, where exactly is the museum located? All right, y'all are going to laugh at me because I am local to Las Vegas, born and raised here, and streets are so rough for me. But I know this, Washington and Las Vegas Boulevard, if you pass through Washington, you have gone too far. You're going to go to Washington, Las Vegas Boulevard. You're going to see the lovely mural and the elephant tusks on the side of the building come through the parking lot and we're ready for you. That seems to be an area that has a few museums. Yes, you were exactly right. We're in the cultural corridor out here in Ward 5. Right up the street from us is the Neon Museum. Nice. All right. So if people want to find out more about the Las Vegas Natural History Museum in general, or maybe read up a bit on the new Resilience Black History Month exhibit before coming in, where would you suggest they go? You're going to go online to lvnhm.org. Again, that's um, Las Vegas Natural History Museum, the acronym LVNHM.org. Okay. And can we buy tickets in advance as well? You absolutely can. You can buy tickets online 
at the door, or you can call in as well. 702-384-3466. All right, perfect. So once again, lvnhm.org is the website that stands for Las Vegas Natural History Museum lvnhm.org right now they have the resilience black history month exhibit running through the end of the month so it goes through to thursday february 29th they are open every day from 9 a.m to 4 p.m and you can find out more information about the resilience black history month exhibit or their other regular permanent exhibits if you go to the las vegas natural history museum website which once again lvnhm.org you can purchase tickets online there or you can call them 702-384-3466 702-384-3466 and we've been speaking with grace Jeroge. she's the education director at the las vegas natural history museum and grace i want to thank you so much for being here and letting us know about this really amazing sounding exhibit that you've got going on for the month of february for black history month as well as all the other stuff you have going on all year round. So I really appreciate your time today. Thank you so much. Thank you as well, Heather. It's been a pleasure. As Americans, we celebrate all the things that make us different. So what is the thing that connects us? The thing that makes us Americans? It's simple. It's our shared belief that we are Americans. We the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity. Do ordain and establish this constitution for the United States of America. That belief that we each can be who we are and live the life we dream, in harmony with one another, in our system written in the words of the constitution, Know your constitution. It's who you are. It's who we are. Unity. It's an American thing. From AmericanThing.org. You're listening to the Odyssey Las Vegas Public Affairs Show. I'm Heather Vale, and I'm speaking with Mark Eckhart, founder and CEO of Common, a creative accelerator for social enterprises and projects. He's also the creator of One Million Truths, a science-based initiative dedicated to resolving racial conflict by leveraging artificial intelligence. Mark, thank you so much for being here today. It's a pleasure, Heather. Thank you so much. So first of all, what exactly is Common? Common is an organization that we founded in 2010, specifically to help people design solutions to the world's most challenging problems. So over the years, we've worked with people in 38 different industries and 27 different countries, and we've helped them generate immeasurable social and environmental impact, but also about $100 billion in organizational value as well. Wow, that's fantastic. Okay, so then what is One Million Truths? One Million Truths is a science-based initiative that's dedicated to racial healing and reconciliation. And our mission is to transform the way we think about and respond to racial conflict in our lives, in our communities, and throughout the U.S. And so over the last three years, we've conducted immersive research and spoken with a broad range of Americans, spanning scientists and technologists and Fortune 500 executives, all the way across to everyday people from all walks of life. And the result of that is a pioneering approach to racial and ethnic conflict that leverages artificial intelligence, data, and science to build solutions. 
Okay. So that sounds really cool, but I'm trying to understand how exactly it works. So how does the power of AI address the underlying issues of racism? Hmm. Great question. So the first step in our process is to invite all Americans, regardless of points of view, regardless of race and ethnicity, to record and share and submit their truths. And truths are authentic stories about racial conflict in their lives. As we build a database of a million or more truths and stories, we will then use AI to analyze those truths. And in doing so, we're going to be able to develop a holistic map of what's going on in neighborhoods and communities throughout the country. We'll be able to continuously monitor what's happening in the country, and we'll be able to identify who's most likely to take constructive action and who might be more likely to oppose any suggested action that we might put forth. So there's a number of things we can do from those three things I just shared to personalizing content, to increase engagement and make better utilization of partners and resources. Okay. So when you talk about sharing truths, that's basically sharing an experience that happened that impacted the sharer, the creator, one way or another in regards to racial conflict or racial unrest? That's Totally accurate. So, for example, somebody might share something that was painful or a struggle. A different person might share a triumph or a hope they have for the future. We're really interested in the full gambit of a full spectrum of experiences. And so, for example, last week I had a conversation with a a gentleman who just happened to be white. He said, Hey, Mark, I live in an area where I don't see this stuff unfolding or playing out in, in my view. So could I share my truth? Is that valid? Would that be helpful? And I said, absolutely. The more diverse uh, our database and the more diverse the stories that we record and we collect, the better our analysis will be and the better our solutions will be. Okay. What are some examples of the stories and the truths that you've received so far? Sterling K. Brown, the wonderful human being and actor that he is, shared a wonderful story about racial conflict and ethnic in dating. He shared a story about a young lady that he was dating in his school, early early school days, and how her father disrupted that with a letter that was pretty strongly written and, and certainly, certainly biased. And, and we see those kinds of interactions as a reflection of conflict. Okay. Now, do most people primarily share negative experiences that they want to find a solution for, or do they propose a solution how they think the world could be better? It's the full spectrum. Some people share experiences and stories that were very painful and traumatic. Other people have ideas about what would be effective in their community and neighborhood. We are open to everything. We want to hear from everyone. And the broader and the more robust our database is, the better AI can serve us in analyzing all that information and highlighting trends, illuminating themes, et cetera, et cetera. Okay, awesome. So what made you decide to start this project in the first place? Oh, One Million Truths is really a reflection of my personal story and trying to sort out my own experiences throughout my life. For example, I was given up for adoption because my birth mother would have been rejected by her family and close community for having a child of mixed race. 
I've been yelled at, I've been physically threatened, I've had to deal with overt bias in my professional life. And I just got to a point where I didn't know how to respond. All the definitions and all the lessons and education I had engaged in weren't, weren't serving me. And, and so the first thing I did as I arrived at kind of that dead end was begin to share my truth and my story and experiences. And the response as a result of doing so was profound. The people in my life and community responded with shock and awe and disbelief, but also a lot of love and embrace and support at the same time, too. That's fantastic. Okay, so obviously individual stories and individual truths have a really big impact on people that are watching the stories, sharing the stories. But let's take a step back and look at the bigger picture for a second. When it comes to addressing racial conflict in general, what's currently working and what's currently not working? A great example of what's working or who's working is a friend of mine by the name of Xavier Ramey. He's based in Chicago. The name of his organization is Justice Informed, and he is doing a great job in terms of educating people around the language that's used in and around this issue and these dynamics. He's doing a wonderful job working with organizations and transforming how they're structured and how they invite different team members in to be part of the organization and their activities. What hasn't been working or what has seemed to be a consistent challenge was really reflected in the feedback that we heard and the consistencies that we heard early on when we were speaking to Fortune 500 executives and people who were bridge builders. We just heard things like, for example, the CEO of a large media corporation said, hey, thousands of people raised their hands during the Floyd protest claiming they had the solution to this dynamic. None of us do. The then chief diversity inclusion officer at Nike interrupted another conversation to insist and assert that DEI needed innovation right then and there. And so we've just heard a lot of consistencies in the things that people have shared, and that led us to do immersive research over the last three years. Wow. Okay. Awesome. So where can people go if they want to find out more information, maybe watch the other stories, or even share their own truth for the One Million Truths Project? Well, it's an honor to invite everyone in the country. So all Americans, again, regardless of your race and ethnicity or your point of view or your experience with this particular issue, please go to onemilliontruths.com, and that's spelled out. One million and truths with an S, so one million truths.com. There you can upload your story, submit it to be part of our database, and submit it to be part of the process that we're going to engage in and pursue in order to generate solutions and generate massive impact across the country on this issue. Awesome. Okay. So once again, the website is one million truths.com. That's one spelled out one million truths.com. It's about authentic experiences from Americans. And if you submit your truth, your story, your experience with racial conflict, no matter what it is, negative, positive, regardless, it's going to be analyzed with AI in the future with all the other truths that are being collected. And that's going to hopefully lead to solutions in the future. So one million truths.com is the place to start. We've been speaking with Mark Eckhart. He's the founder and creator of one million truths, also the co-founder and CEO of common. And Mark, I want to thank you so much for being here and letting us know about this fantastic project and how it can hopefully make a difference. So I appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. 
to the big-hearted, the bold, the teachers, the growers, the builders, the change-makers. We need you. We are the Peace Corps. In more than 60 countries, we go the distance to make a difference. We're volunteers, partners, communities, bringing our experience, joy, and passion to building a better world together. Are you looking for more? Then we are looking for you. Join us at PeaceCorps.gov. I'm Heather Vale, and you're listening to the Odyssey Las Vegas Public Affairs Show. Joining me is Dr. Kathleen Corley, an award-winning educator, school principal, and author of the new book, The Magical Place We Call School, Creating a Safe Space for Learning and Happiness in a Challenging World. With the growing problems of teacher burnout, falling test scores, and increasing violence, our schools need help. And this book shares innovative ideas that have proved effective at transforming schools and student experiences around the country. Kathleen, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you so much for inviting me. So what prompted you to write this book, The Magical Place We Call School? Well, for some time, I believe that the general public is not completely aware of what goes on in schools. They hear horror stories they hear about the challenges. I don't think they hear so much about how we overcome the challenges and that it's an okay to awesome place to be depending on where you are. So I wanted to provide a counter narrative to that thinking. So what are some of the challenges that educators have overcome that the general public isn't necessarily aware of? In the olden days, when I went to school, students kind of got the lesson or they didn't get the lesson. They might get a little bit more help, but pretty much students could be left behind. And that kind of teaching and learning philosophy, if you will, or lack of philosophy, continued on for years and years. Then we learned that we needed to differentiate how we would teach students. That is, if you and I are sitting next to each other in a seventh grade language arts class, and you completely understand everything that the teacher is saying, and you are ready to get to work on it, and I have a quizzical look on my face, and I may ask questions or I may not ask questions, I need some review. I need some help. I need someone to patch the holes for me. But we shouldn't hold you back. You need to continue on with what you're doing and maybe go on to the next challenge. Well, differentiating for lots of students in a class, because there are probably hmm, three, four levels of understanding per each lesson, that's very hard to do because you can't split yourself in quarters if you're the teacher. So you get a little creative with additional support people and you get creative with schedules. We have a thing at the end of the day called WIT, whatever it takes. So if you and I are both fourth grade teachers and I'm having a tough time getting across the notion of multiplication of two and three digit numbers with, say, three of my students, I might commiserate with you and say, today's wit is going to be multiplication of three digit numbers. I have three. How, how many do you have? Meaning, how many students do you have in your class who need that very same thing? So we can do an intensive 20 minutes, 30 minutes on something like that. So the creativity is what we need, especially if we don't have all the resources. We're pretty good. 
where I'm at because there are literacy specialists and there's an academic coach and we can hone in on what exactly is needed. And our diagnostics are far better than they used to be. I can tell you exactly who knows what based on what they've shown on that test and then based on our observation of them. So we can target skills. Okay, awesome. Now, the book is written primarily for educators, but I think there's valuable advice for parents in it, too. So, for example, when a child acts out, how can we determine the root causes of that behavior? Sometimes just by watching, sometimes asking some questions, sometimes reviewing in your head what the child has just experienced. There is a little boy right now. He's in kindergarten. He loved pre-K. He doesn't love kindergarten quite so much. And we were trying to figure out why. He's telling his parents that he doesn't want to go to school anymore. And there's nothing going on. There's nothing bad happening. He kind of came up with a story about how he was being hit by a boy who he doesn't have any contact with. And that was sort of a made up thing. It appears that since he missed some school just before Christmas, and then there was Christmas, and there are lots of people in his family, lots of children in his family, and he sees them having fun when he's going off to school, they're three-year-olds, four-year-olds, he kind of just wants to be there. Well, it took us a minute to figure out that was the deal. So he needs to be encouraged to come where we can't change things for him that his three-year-old and four-year-old brothers and sisters will be home and he needs to come to school. But we're easing him into his the beginning of the day. This morning, the pre-K teacher who he loves had a couple of toys that are his favorites and she met him at the door and then walked him to her class. He spent a little time with her and then moved on. That's just one example. But children in trauma, you, you have to review, how do you handle trauma as an adult? How do you handle a death in the family? How do you handle a separation? How do you handle fights that might happen at home? Then compound that when you think of how does a six-year-old handle it? Because they, they didn't sign up for that. Maybe you did, and you have a lot more tools at your disposal. He doesn't. So sometimes it's deep, sometimes it's shallow, sometimes it's it's a simple thing, sometimes it's bad dreams after playing too many video games. Who knows? But you have to listen and ask questions, have good counselors to assist. Okay, awesome. So you mentioned an example of a made-up situation where violence was not occurring, but unfortunately there is a lot of violence in our schools. There's bullying, there are guns, things that might not have been as prevalent in the past, but these days it seems to be all over the place. How can we solve those problems? At the school level, bullying or pre-bullying, if you will, needs to be handled almost immediately. When I was walking back to my office just a few minutes ago from upstairs, I saw that the fourth and fifth graders had signed a pledge that has to do with see something, say something. And that's an app that we have. And it's to report bullying. It's to report anything. Adults can do it. Adults can use it to report harassment, adult to adult. And they added that when they hear negative talk, they'll try to talk to the person who's doing that to kind of quell that. All of it starts small, but when it gets to be bullying and the victims are continually bullied, 
generally speaking, that does not bode well for that child. He becomes withdrawn. He separates himself from other students. Either he is not liked by other students or he believes he's not liked by other students. And when you look at the profile of the high school age school shooter, that's it. The outsider, the one who was treated badly. So who was standing up for him? Who was helping him along the way? Anybody? We need to be those people, parents and schools working together. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay. Now, we have all struggled with trying to get kids to behave or even be quiet when appropriate, but teachers have to do it with like 30 kids at a time. So what are some strategies that you use for encouraging kids to behave? We had an issue with one of our upper grade classes, the entire class, because about 15 out of 85 or so really wanted to have more attention than they should. Calling out, talking when the teacher was talking, talking when other students were talking, just basically being disrespectful. And the teachers at that grade level were pretty irritated about it. And some of the students were irritated about it. So we designed a program to return joy to that grade level. Some students even said, we hear that our teachers can be fun and there can be really cool things that happen, but so far we haven't seen it. Oh my gosh. So we interviewed all of the students. There were three of us, assistant principal, academic coach, myself. We asked them just four questions that had to do with how do you think things are going? And nearly all of them said, Sometimes kids get too loud. And sometimes they'd say, even me. And they have trouble drawing themselves back. But 41% of them said, we need stronger consequences and we need the consequences to happen sooner. In other words, the teachers were being too nice. So now the plan is, there is one rule. The one rule is, if what you're doing interferes with what's going on in class or hurts someone's feelings you're doing it wrong, and we're going to correct you. So with that one rule, if anybody does anything like that, they get a poker chip put down on the table. It's a visual reminder of you get another one and you're going to the office. Now, generally speaking, that wouldn't be an office thing, but this was out of hand. So we needed to get back where we needed to be. And for the last two weeks, it has been blissful. It won't always be blissful and things don't continue to work all the time, but basically set the rules, review the rules if you need to. And that one rule is a good one. You don't have to go too much further than that, whether you're a parent or a teacher, and then make sure that everybody agrees and everybody follows the rules. If they don't, you're going to have to come down with whatever consequence you have set up in the first place. The consequence for us is child comes to us. We have a little word of prayer, as it were, and then the child writes a reflection on it and we call their parents. And we, of course, we notified the parents that this is sort of a crackdown and it has worked well. And the students have warmed up to it, especially the ones who are saying, can't we just do a lesson? It wasn't out of hand. It wasn't crazy, but it wasn't like we do things. It didn't fit the rest of the school, of the rest of the grades. Nobody else was doing this. Wow. Okay. That's awesome. All right. So where can listeners go if they want to find out more information or even get your book, The Magical Place We Call School? 
The Magical Place We Call School is sold wherever you would imagine that it would be sold, Amazon and places like that. And there is a website, oddly enough, called themagicalplacewecallschool.com. And you can go there for more information. And I'm on Facebook and all the rest of those things with my maiden name in the middle, Kathy Klebs, K-L-E-B-S, Coralie. And I'll answer just about anything. Okay, awesome. So once again, the website is themagicalplacewecallschool.com, themagicalplacewecallschool.com. You can also get the book at Amazon or your favorite bookseller. The book is called The Magical Place We Call School, Creating a Safe Space for Learning and Happiness in a Challenging World. And you can also find Catherine on social media under Kathy Klebs Corley, Kathy with a K, Klebs with a K, Corley with a C. <laughs> and we've been <laughs> speaking with Dr. Kathleen Corley. She is an award-winning educator and the author of the new book, The Magical Place We Call School. And Kathleen, I want to thank you so much for being here and sharing with us and giving us some great strategies and some optimistic outlook for the future of our kids. So I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much. And thank you for inviting me. When students struggle because they are hungry or fall behind because they lack school supplies, a caring adult can make all the difference, especially someone from the community, someone who knows the students and the obstacles they might be facing. At Communities in Schools, our site coordinators surround students with a community of support to ensure that they have everything they need to engage in learning. We go all in for kids all day, every day. To learn more, visit communitiesinschools.org. You're listening to the Odyssey Las Vegas Public Affairs Show. I'm Heather Vale, and I'm speaking with best-selling author, social media creator, and cat advocate Hannah Shaw, otherwise known as the Kitten Lady. February is National Cat Health Month, which is a great time to ensure our feline friends have a clean bill of health. But unfortunately, too many cats find themselves in shelters or rescues every year and often end up euthanized. Hannah, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you so much for having me. So how many cats and kittens are brought to shelters each year? Unfortunately, we're seeing more than 3 million cats entering the U.S. shelter system every single year. I know that that is a very overwhelming number to hear, but there are so many things that we can do to help these cats in our communities. Obviously, a very big one is to go to the shelter and adopt if you have room in your home and in your heart. But there are other things we can be doing, too. This is a great month to think about signing up to volunteer, thinking about signing up to foster. I'm currently fostering five kittens myself, and I can't tell you how much joy it will bring into your life to give those kittens or cats a, a chance at a wonderful life. And it really just takes, you know, a couple weeks sometimes of your time to foster. You can also, of course, donate money or supplies. Okay. Now, when you're fostering newborn kittens, what's needed to care for them? What kind of time commitment? What type of activity do we need to do? Sure. So, you know, kitten season is coming in the spring and there's going to be a lot of kittens entering shelters. There are different types of populations. I work with a lot of orphaned neonatal kittens. So these are the kittens that do need to be bottle fed around the clock. If you work from home, that's a population that would be wonderful to consider fostering. You know, it just takes a couple minutes every few hours. You're, you know, mixing formula, giving them a bottle, and then basically just putting them back into their warm little bed. You know, you can have them in a, a box or 
just a little bin with a heat pad. They really are only with you for a couple of weeks and it makes all the difference for them. But if you can't do that, um, if you work out of the home, let's say, you can still foster moms with babies. You can also foster adult cats or even weaned kittens. And, you know, that can be so much fun. Basically, you know, open a can of food for them. You can head to work, come home, open another can of food and just make sure that you're giving them love and enrichment and play while they are waiting to be big enough to be spayed and neutered and ultimately adopted. Wow, that's awesome. All right. So tell us about the Cats Pride program. Sure. So Cats Pride is doing this very awesome initiative in honor of National Cat Health Month. It's called the Give Shelter Cats a Clean Start campaign. And with this campaign, they are donating two pounds of litter to animal shelters in need for every jug of their Cats Pride antibacterial clumping litter sold throughout the month of February. I love this campaign. Um, I've worked with them for years on donating to shelters in need, getting them litter. And it's a super, super important way that we can help shelter cats access the supplies that they need. But I also just love the antibacterial clumping litter in general. It's very sanitary for our homes and also for the cats in shelters. So a win-win for shelter cats this month. Yeah, definitely. And I love the name of the campaign. Give Shelter Cats a Clean Start. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, the antibacterial clumping litter is really cool. It killed 99.9% .9 of odor-causing bacteria. So that's something that is very helpful if you have, especially, you know, like me, I have a multi-cat household. I am scooping litter all the time. I love having a product like that. But for me, it's also all about helping the cats. So I'm buying cat litter. I'm helping my cats. I'm also helping cats in shelters by helping them access that donated litter. Yeah, yeah, perfect. All right. So speaking of our own cats, it is National Cat Health Month. And, you know, it's a good time to remind cat parents what to do for their cats. So what should they focus on to make sure our feline friends stay healthy and are up to date on everything they need to be up to date on? Sure. Well, the biggest thing is to schedule that annual wellness visit with your veterinarian. I think a lot of people don't want to go to the vet until their cat is obviously sick. And unfortunately, you know, cats are so good at hiding sickness that sometimes we don't even realize that they need to go to the vet. So this is a good reminder to schedule that wellness visit, take your cat in. That's going to help them have their preventive care needs met and, you know, make sure that they are healthy. There are a lot of things we can do in our homes as well. You know, we want to be making sure that they have a healthy lifestyle, they have good nutrition, and, you know, behavioral and emotional health also matters a lot for cats. So actually engaging in interactive play with our cats, making sure that they have an enriching environment. You know, it doesn't have to cost a ton of money to have an enriching home. You can do all sorts of fun things, even just with cardboard boxes and your cats to keep them, you know, uh, mentally stimulated, keep them physically active. But really the biggest one is making sure you have that annual wellness visit with your cat. Okay. Yeah, that's a classic. You buy something in a box for the cat and they prefer the box over whatever was inside. <laughs> 
Of course, I know. And the packing paper, you can create like a little feline wonderland with packing paper. So, you know, when people say like, oh, I don't, you know, I don't want to just buy a bunch of toys, like you can make a lot of toys for your cats too. Um, and of course, when when our cats are living in our homes, we're the creators of their world, we're the creators of their environment. So we want to keep their environment fun, safe for them, and obviously sanitary. Awesome. Okay, so where can listeners go if they want to get more information about fostering cats, adopting cats, the Give Shelter Cats a Clean Start campaign, or cat health in general for National Cat Health Month? Sure. So my website is kittenlady.org and I have lots of information on fostering. If you're interested in taking care of kittens or cats this year, please head to that website to learn more. And if you want to participate in the Give Shelter Cats a Clean Start campaign, you can head to catspride.com slash clean start to learn more about that campaign and to find a retailer near you where you can purchase the Cats Pride antibacterial clumping litter. Nice. Okay. So once again, kittenlady.org is Hannah's website, kittenlady.org. She's got plenty of information there about fostering, adopting. You can check out her book, kittenlady.org. And then if you want to find out more about the Give Shelter Cats a Clean Start campaign put on by Cats Pride, catspride.com slash clean start catspride.com slash clean start. And we've been speaking with Hannah Shaw. She is better known as the kitten lady. And Hannah, I want to thank you so much for being here, letting us know such great information about how to keep our cats healthy, how to help shelter cats, how to foster if we're so inclined. So I really appreciate you being here for National Cat Health Month. Thank you so much. Hey, thank you very much for being a cat advocate. Hi, I'm Kirsten from Pentatonics. We've all learned how to cope with more time alone. With more time spent isolated or at home, the need for companionship has grown. If you've considered adding a pet to your family, please check with your local shelters and foster organizations. Stray pet numbers have grown immensely over the past several years, and the trauma cost to these animals is devastating. Adopt pets, they need us more than we know. This message is courtesy of the United States Air Force. I'm Heather Vale, and you're listening to the Odyssey Las Vegas Public Affairs Show. Joining me is Dr. Ashish Saraju, staff cardiologist in Heart, Vascular, and Thoracic Institute at Cleveland Clinic. February is American Heart Month, and Cleveland Clinic's 2024 Heart Health Survey examined how Americans are using technology to improve their heart health. Dr. Saraju, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you very much for having me. So what did Cleveland Clinic's 2024 Heart Health Survey reveal about how people are using technology to improve their heart health? Yes, so our survey showed that 50% of Americans are using technology to guide their heart care, and the vast majority felt that using the technologies had a positive impact on their physical and mental well-being. Interestingly, three out of five Americans also felt that artificial intelligence was likely to provide accurate heart care recommendations. But 90% still felt that they would rather talk to their doctor first rather than acting upon artificial intelligence recommendations, which for me is a very balanced perspective. Yeah, definitely. So what types of technology are they actually using? That's a great question. And, you know, in the survey, they were using technologies that helped them track their daily step count, their heart rate, their calorie burn rate, sleep, things like that. And a number of different technologies are available to track 
all these different parameters, which are all, of course, very important for heart health. Okay. And how important is it to have an AI component to the technology that we use? Yeah, AI is a fast-growing area of research right now. I think we're still in the pretty very early stages of trying to figure out where it fits into healthcare. But there are a lot of exciting research-based applications. We're looking at things like MRI scans and how AI could be used for those, how it can be used to predict the risk of disease or predict how patients are going to respond to a treatment. But we're still early, we're still in the research phase, but it's still very exciting. Yeah, okay. Now, obviously, Americans are using them, or at least half of Americans are using them, but what are some of the positive mental and physical impacts of this wearable technology? I think I would assume that what's happening is that folks have plans in place like improving their daily step count and using these technologies are helping them achieve their daily goals, helping them feel more empowered and helping them reach a threshold that maybe they and their doctor set together. And that's a very important part of this aspect as is, I think, coming up with a plan with your healthcare provider on what parameters to track and how to not get overwhelmed by all the data the variables provide. Okay. Now, if you had a patient who wasn't sure whether they should or shouldn't invest in wearable technology, what would you say? I would say talk to your doctor about what about your health could benefit from these if you're interested in getting it. And that way you can make a plan to track a parameter that's relevant for you, personalized to you. And then you can think about the right kind of technology to be able to do that. Okay. Do you personally use any wearable technology? I track my step count. Yeah, I do as well. I think everybody tracks their step count these days. It seems to be like almost a social norm to say, hey, I hit my step count today. (laughs) That's right. Yeah, it has become a social norm. And I think, you know, I don't think, you know, necessarily that's a bad thing for it to become so casually mentioned and such a normal part of life at this point. Is there a formula for figuring out what would be an optimal step count for someone based on maybe age or health? Yeah, that's a great question. I think, you know, it's a very sophisticated question. And honestly, something like that, I would recommend discussing that with the doctors because it's very personalized, very customized based on, you know, our our goals, based on the patient's own health issues. Okay. So Mm -hmm. obviously some data and some thought needs to go into the decision in the first place, what to wear, how to track, what to track. But then once we have that data from the device, how can a physician use that data to provide better personalized healthcare? Yeah, again, great question. So again, it comes down to making that plan ahead of time. Because remember, we're seeing patients once or twice a year, and these wearables give us the chance to catch up on what's been going on at home in those six to 12 months that we haven't seen them to say, okay, the sedentary behavior has improved, or okay, your blood pressure is better controlled or, okay, your heart rate is good, or your weight has improved. So these are all, I think, ways to empower the physicians to customize plans and then to track how well those plans are doing at home. Okay. So if a patient is thinking about getting wearable technology and they want to have that conversation with their doctor, what are some of the questions that they should ask? Well, they should ask, does the doctor think that this would be helpful to them? If so, what parameters they should track? And uh, really use that conversation as a way to think about what's useful to track, but also what data shouldn't really overwhelm them or how they can avoid getting anxious about monitoring all these data on a day-to-day basis. Okay, awesome. So where can listeners go if they want to get more information about using wearable technology for better heart health? 
Absolutely. So uh, listeners can go to clevelandclinic.org slash loveyourheart for more information. Okay, perfect. So clevelandclinic.org slash loveyourheart is the website to go to clevelandclinic.org slash loveyourheart. And you can find out more information there about how people are using wearable technology for better heart health and how you can do the same thing, how you can track various health conditions and, you know, have that conversation with your doctor, as Dr. Saraju said. We've been speaking with Dr. Ashish Saraju. He's the staff cardiologist in Heart, Vascular, and Thoracic Institute at Cleveland Clinic. And Dr. Saraju, I want to thank you so much for being here today and letting us know more information about wearing technology and how it can help us. So thank you so much. Thank you very much for having me. Have a great day. Hey, wouldn't it be great if life came with a remote control? You know, you could hit pause when you needed to or hit rewind, like that time you knocked down that wasp's nest. Uh-oh. Well, life doesn't always give you time to change the outcome, but pre-diabetes does. With early diagnosis and a few healthy changes, you can stop pre-diabetes before it leads to type 2 diabetes. To learn your risk, take the one-minute test today at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. I'm Heather Vale, and you're listening to the Odyssey Las Vegas Public Affairs Show. Joining me is Dr. Tejas Patil, Assistant Professor of Medical Oncology at the University of Colorado, and Janet Freeman-Daly, a patient living with ROS1 positive lung cancer. Lung cancer is the deadliest type of cancer, and it's not always caused by smoking. Dr. Patil and Janet, thank you both so much for being here today. Thank you for having us. Thank you. So, Dr. Patel, what exactly is ROS1-positive lung cancer? That's an important question. And before I answer that, I would actually like to start by saying that ROS1 is a type of biomarker and that in the last 20 years, we used to just look at lung cancer under a microscope and say whether it was small cell or non-small cell and then offer chemotherapy. What biomarker testing has done is it's allowed us to figure out biomarkers like ROS1, which allow patients to get pills that are targeted treatments that can avoid chemotherapy. Okay, so what exactly do you mean by a biomarker? So a biomarker is a type of test that allows us to understand the genetic makeup of a cancer and in so doing can allow us to pick treatments that might not be chemotherapy. Okay, so what kind of new treatment options are available for this type of lung cancer if it doesn't have to be chemotherapy? So we can offer patients immunotherapy or we can offer patients targeted therapy. Targeted therapy typically comes in the form of a pill you take once a day and it can have side effects that are very different and oftentimes more well-tolerated than chemotherapy, as Janet can talk about. Yeah, Janet, could you please share your story of living with lung cancer? Sure, Heather, thank you. I was diagnosed with lung cancer in 2011, and this was before most biomarkers were known. So I went through chemotherapy and radiation twice, and both times, as soon as I stopped treatment, my cancer progressed. I was told that I would probably be on chemotherapy for the rest of my life, which would be short. But I learned from other patients online about clinical trials and biomarkers. I arranged to get my cancer tissue tested for biomarker, found that I had ROS1 positive cancer, and joined a clinical trial. And 
took a pill once a day, and I've been on that same pill now for over 11 years with much less side effects than I had with chemotherapy. Wow, okay. So, Dr. Patel, how often are patients eligible to take this type of clinical trial and find new treatment options? So what I tell my patients is you should always be asking what clinical trial is available for me. Clinical trials offer the opportunity to bring treatments in the future, the most cutting-edge technology, to patients right now. And Janet is a good example of a patient who benefited from being on a clinical trial. Definitely made a big difference for me. Yeah. Now, Janet, I mean, taking a slightly different path from what others might have taken must have been a big decision. So what made you decide to go ahead and participate in the trial and try the new medication? But it was important to investigate clinical trials because traditional therapies were no longer working for me. Clinical trials help determine whether a new treatment is more useful or more effective than the existing treatment. Important also for me to be able to help the people in the future. Okay, awesome. So, Dr. Patel, where can people go if they want to learn more about lung cancer, specifically ROS1 positive lung cancer, and some of the innovations that are happening around it? So, your audience can go to lungcancer.tips/slash ROS1. And I would also like to encourage that they visit the ROS Wonders, a patient advocacy organization that's dedicated to ROS1 positive lung cancer. All right, so the website to go to is lungcancer.tips slash ROS1, that's R-O-S and the number one, lungcancer.tips slash ROS1. And you can also go to the Lung Cancer Foundation of America website directly, which is lcfamerica.org if you want to find out more about other types of lung cancer and the services that the foundation offers, lcfamerica.org. And Dr. Patel and Janet, I want to thank you so much for being here and letting us know some of the new innovations around cancer, some options for people, and Janet specifically for sharing your story with us. I really appreciate it. Thank you both so much. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Federal guidelines have nearly doubled the number of Americans eligible for lung cancer screening. Insurance companies are required to cover these tests for those ages 50 to 80 who currently smoke or used to smoke. Along with new treatments, lung cancer screening saves lives. If you are 50 to 80 years old and smoke or used to smoke, talk to your doctor about lung cancer screening. For more information and to find a screening center near you, visit acr.org slash mylcs. That's acr.org slash mylcs. I'm Heather Vale with the Odyssey Las Vegas Public Affairs Show, and this is your community events calendar for nonprofit initiatives and charity events around the Valley. February is Black History Month, and the Las Vegas Natural History Museum is celebrating with a new exhibit called Resilience through Thursday, February 29th, and they're open daily from 9 a.m. to 4 p.m., Resilience is a community-created cultural exhibition and museum-created historical exploration of scientific contributions from influential African Americans. Find out more or get tickets at lvnhm.org. That stands for Las Vegas Natural History Museum, lvnhm.org. 
Monday's Dark with Mark Chinook is a bi-monthly musical fundraising party at The Space, with each event raising $10,000 for a specific charity in 90 minutes. Upcoming shows include Monday, February 19th at 8 p.m. benefiting CORE, and Monday, March 4th at 8 p.m. benefiting Living Grace Homes. Get tickets or find out more details at mondaysdark.com. That's mondaysdark.com. The inaugural Micro-Business Summit to help small business owners with fewer than 10 employees and future entrepreneurs is happening on Saturday, February 24th from 9 a.m. to 1 p.m. at Las Vegas City Hall. This event is sponsored by GoDaddy, the City of Las Vegas, Workforce Connections, and Bank of Nevada, and it's free to attend for entrepreneurs, but registration is required. Find out more information or register to attend at WorkforceConnections.org. That's WorkforceConnections.org. Registration for the 2024-25 school year of the nonprofit Kids Co-op Preschool opens at the end of February and continues until classes are full. Book a tour of the facilities or find out more information at kidscoop.org. K-I-D-S-C-O-O-P.org. Kidscoop.org. And Make-A-Wish Southern Nevada is holding their 22nd annual Walk for Wishes fundraising event on World Wish Day, Saturday, April 27th, with 8 a.m. registration and the walk and run starting at 8.30 at Town Square, Las Vegas. Make-A-Wish chapters and affiliates across the globe come together each year to celebrate World Wish Day, the anniversary of the wish that inspired the founding of Make-A-Wish back in 1980. You can join in the celebration of more than 550,000 wishes that have already been granted while raising funds for future wishes. Sign up or find out more information at wish.org slash snv slash walk. That's wish.org slash snv slash walk. His karate lessons might not turn him into a black belt. Hi-ya! And even after band camp, he might not be the greatest musician. But with the 3% annual percentage yield you can earn on a PenFed premium online savings account, your goal of supporting his dreams... Thanks for everything, Mom and Dad. ...will always be worth it. Apply today at PenFed.org savings. Federally insured by NCUA. $5 minimum to open account. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed. PenFed's got great rates for everyone. Nerds! Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Sometimes you need a change of pace. That includes your finances. Get smart with your budgeting with financial tips straight from the nerds. NerdWallet's trusted experts will set future you up for success by untangling today's web of financial misinformation. Learn about smart investing strategies, tax planning pointers, and travel tips to save on a fun family getaway. Maybe somewhere tropical? Spring ahead for smarter decisions in 2024. Follow NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. I'm Tony Kornheiser. This is my show. My friends come on and you know them. We talk about the sports you care about, basketball now, golf, and the metronome of your life, baseball. Whether it's opening day, the big tournament, or one of the majors, we have the best to preview it and break down just what happened. And let's not forget the important stuff, the amount of daylight where I live, the importance of speedies, and the rankings of beach-style pizza. Listen on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.